Way City Church, located in Woodbridge, Virginia, is led by Pastor Marlon Yearwood and exists to reach the lost and disciple the believer. Jonah chapter 1 and 3 tells the story of, of Jonah's encounter with non-Israelites. The, the pagan sailors in chapter 1 and then the Ninevite enemies in chapter 3. And within these two chapters, we see the the contrast of of Jonah's selfishness and the humility and the repentance of the pagans. Jonah chapter 2 and 4 shows us Jonah's prayers. One prayer of repentance in in chapter 2, right? One is a prayer of repentance. Chapter 2, he he repents. And the other in chapter 4 is a prayer of which is against God's mercy. It's a prayer against His mercy and against His love and against His compassion in chapter 4. And, and all of the characters in Jonah, in the book of Jonah, all of the characters that we see, they do the very opposite of what we would expect them to do. Jonah, the prophet of God, rebels against God. He is, he is the prophet of God, and he rebels against God and wants nothing to do with God, with his word, or with his presence. The, the hardened pagan, immoral sailors end up having soft, repentant hearts, and they end up turning to God in humility. You have the, the king of what is probably the, the most brutal and, and wicked people of the day and probably the most powerful empire of the time. And you have the king of that land, and he humbles himself before God, and repents and falls to his knees in sackcloth and ashes. And then we have, while, while Jonah is, is asleep, Jonah is sleeping, completely unaware of what God is doing through the storm. But we have the pagan sailors, and they're wide awake and well aware. It's the, it's the pagan sailors that tell Jonah to pray. They're the ones, it's the unbelievers that, that, that prompt Jonah and tell Jonah to, to call upon his God, and Jonah does not pray when he's told to pray. And while Jonah is, is blinded by his anger and, and his prejudice and wanting to die, the people of Nineveh, they believe God. Their eyes are opened. Jonah's blind, but the pagans, their their eyes are opened. They turn to God in one accord, and they come to new life. So let's look at the, the text here again this morning. Jonah chapter 4. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he became angry. So he prayed to the Lord and said, Our Lord, was not this what I said when I was still in my country? Therefore I fled previously to Tarshish, for I know that you are a gracious and merciful God, slow to anger and abundant in loving kindness, one who relents from doing harm. Verse 3, Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. This is now the, the last scene of the second act. And this chapter begins with a very, very angry Jonah. 
very angry Jonah. The word anger here in verse 1, the Hebrew word means to burn. To burn, kindled. It, it, it refers to, to a temper. To burn with anger. So Jonah is, is burning with anger. He is he's hot. Jonah's hot. He's not just a little bit upset, but he's hot. He's fuming. And that's how, how this chapter begins. He's, he's fuming about what? What is he angry about? He's fuming about Jonah chapter 3 and verse 10. This is what he's angry about. Then God saw their works, that they turned from their evil way, and God relented from the disaster that he had said he would bring on them, and he did not do it. That's what causes Jonah to be angry. So can I just state the obvious here? This is a very unusual thing for a prophet of God to do. He's, he's angry because the people repented and because God turned from his destruction, from his judgment on the people. God relented from his anger, right? The people of Nineveh, right, turned from their angry ways and repented. And Jonah's the only one that's still holding on to his anger. God relents, the people repent. And Jonah's the only one that's still holding on to, to anger in this story. Luke 15 and verse 10 says this, In the same way I tell you, there is rejoicing. There is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. But Jonah does not rejoice in sinners repenting. But he proceeds to pray in verse 2. Verse 2, so he prayed to the Lord and said, Ah, Lord, was not this what I said when I was still in my country? Therefore I fled previously to Tarshish. This is Jonah's prayer. For I know that you are a gracious and merciful God, slow to anger and abundant in loving kindness, one who relents from doing harm. So let's look at Jonah's prayer here, right? The, the positive and the negative of Jonah's prayer. The positive is this. The positive is that Jonah prayed. Right? Even in his anger, he prayed. Even, even in Jonah's anger, he, he prayed. Jonah spoke with and he came to God and he was very real about his feelings and his emotions and his anger. And he felt comfortable enough to, to come to the Lord and, and to present that to him. So, that's good. And on God's part, even though Jonah was, was angry with God, Jonah still had access to God. God still allowed Jonah access to him, for God's not insecure. He's not insecure, and he's not offended by your anger towards him. Not at all. He, he deals with Jonah the way that a parent would deal with a child that's throwing a temper tantrum. And that's how God deals with, with Jonah. Jonah was still God's, and God was patient with him. I heard someone say that God accepts our anger as much as God accepts our faith and love toward Him. And God allows us to work through it with Him. That's, that's so simple, yet so comforting. That God doesn't only accept our faith and love towards Him, but also our anger. And He allows us to work through that with Him. The anger that we have 
towards him if you somehow find yourself angry with God. The negative about Jonah's prayer. The negative is that Jonah believed that, that God should have done things his way. This is the negative. Jonah's prayer reveals that Jonah believed that God should have done things his way, according to his perspective. You see, Jonah, he's trying to rationalize his, his rebellion against God. He's, he's rationalizing it. He's telling God, this is the exact reason why I ran from you. And he's explaining why. He's, he's attempting to, to justify his disobedience. And he wants to make insignificant his sin. He's trying to, to explain to God why he, why God is so unfair. Almost as though he can convince God somehow of wrongdoing. And this is what Jonah is doing. Remember that everyone has, has a reason why. Everyone who, who sins has a reason why. Remember that. Everyone that sins has a reason why. Why they lied. Why they stole. Why they fornicated. Why they committed adultery. Why they killed. Everyone has, has a reason why. Everyone. And if you would take the time to, to listen, you'll discover that everyone has the ability to justify their wrongdoing. Everyone. If you just listen to them, they have the ability to justify their wrongdoing, right? And in fact, I believe it's our human nature to do so because we really don't believe that we're really that, that evil and that wicked, right? So when we can justify our sin and our wrongdoing and our disobedience, guess what? We try to, to clear our conscience somehow. That's what we're doing. We're trying to clear our conscience by justifying our wrongdoing. So everyone has a reason for their sin and their disobedience. But your why and your reason means absolutely nothing in God's eyes. It means nothing to Him. In your eyes, yes, yes of course it matters in your eyes. Right? In your own eyes. It matters because you're justified. You justify yourself in your eyes. But in God's eyes, you're guilty. Jonah's why was this. I, I knew that you were going to forgive a, a ruthless and undeserving people. This was his why. I knew that you were going to forgive a, purple, a people that did not deserve to be forgiven. So I decided, I attempted to run from your presence. That was his why. As we, as we go through the book of Jonah, you'll see that Jonah's theology was exquisite. His, his theology was impressive, right? Jonah knew God's word, right? In, in Jonah 1.9, it says, so he said to them, this is Jonah, I am a Hebrew and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. And here in Jonah chapter 4 and verse 2, For I know that you are a gracious and merciful God, slow to anger and abundant in loving kindness, one who relents from doing harm. This is exactly how, how the Lord revealed himself to Moses, by the way. 
in Exodus 34 and verse 6 on Mount Sinai. When God gave Moses the commandments for the second time, he revealed himself just like this. And what Jonah knows of God and what Jonah says of God is true of God. He has a great understanding of who God is and he knows God's word. Jonah is a prophet. He's a prophet of God, yet he is not like God. Is the irony. Jonah is a prophet of God, yet he is not like God. And Jonah is a reminder to us that aligning our will and our desires with God's desires and God's will is a process. It's a process. We see the word relent here in verse 2. Relents. To, to relent is to, is to turn. To relent is to turn, right? It is, it is to sigh. Another definition, it is to sigh deeply in relief or thanksgiving or joy. It is a, a sigh of, of relief in thanksgiving or joy. That's what the word relent means in the Hebrew. So you must understand that, that, that God's turning away, right? God's turning away from judgment and ultimate destruction. God turning away from, from destroying these people is a sign of relief for himself. It's a, it's a sign of relief that God doesn't have to destroy these people. God doesn't want to destroy these people. So when he relents, that, that sigh, it's a sigh of relief. 2 Peter 3 and verse 9 says, The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. But all should come to repentance. So God didn't want to destroy these people. So it was a sigh of relief when God relents. In Jonah chapter 1, we see Jonah running from God. In Jonah chapter 2, we see Jonah running to God. In Jonah chapter 3, we see Jonah running with God. And in Jonah chapter 4, you're just like, Jonah, what are you doing? It's just like, it's different. Jonah chapter 4, you're just like, what, what in the world are you doing, Jonah? Verse 3, therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me. Please take my life from me, for it's better for me to die than to live. So Jonah is kindly and politely asking God to strike him dead. That's what he's doing right here. He's asking the Lord to, to take his life. And, and my question is, you know, does this prophet have a death wish? Because all throughout the book, we see Jonah speaking of death. Jonah asks to die directly or indirectly six times that I've counted in this book. Once in chapter one and about five times in this chapter, chapter four. He's, he's referring to death and talking about death and take my life and, and destroy me. And God in his grace and compassion 
doesn't grant him his request. Because of his grace and because of his compassion. He's, he's asking to die. But God says, no. You know, people say a whole bunch of foolishness when they're angry. Their, their reasoning, right, is clouded. If Jonah really wanted to die, right, then why did he pray so hard in Jonah chapter 2 in the belly of the great fish? Why was he praying for deliverance and repentance? If he really, if he really wanted to die, he could have died right there. But people, people say a whole bunch of foolishness. So, so Jonah is, is displeased, right? He's, he's angry, he's in misery, he's faint. And he wants to die, is what he says. And it seems like Jonah just has, has a whole bunch of um, extreme emotions all throughout this book. He's, he's very extreme and he's very emotional. All throughout the book. Then the Lord said, verse 4, is it right for you to be angry? Then the Lord said, is it right for you to be angry? No response. Jonah just, just storms off here. And he just, he just leaves, leaves the presence of the Lord. Then the Lord said, is it right for you to be angry? Jonah doesn't respond, he just storms off. Now, now listen to me. If there are immature prophets then I can guarantee you that there are a lot more immature Christians. If there are immature prophets that we can identify, I can tell you that there are a lot more immature believers. Just, just immature, straight up immature. There's a, there's a whole, whole bunch of them. Immature. And Jonah as a prophet, he just... He just storms off. Ignores the Lord. He's angry, he's upset, and he storms off. He's immature. And he's a prophet. Verse 5, so Jonah went out of the sea and sat on the east side of the sea. There he made himself a shelter and sat under it in the shade till he might see what would become of the sea. So, so Jonah storms out of the city and he sets himself up this, this little fort or whatever. And he's probably still just, just hoping, right? And, and wishing that, that maybe God has heard him somehow and that maybe God might just hopefully still destroy the city after all. So he leaves the city and he, and he sets up camp and he's just watching the city. And he's hoping that, man, maybe, maybe God might just still possibly destroy the city. He's, he's longing to see their destruction, right? And he doesn't want to miss it if God does it, right? He wants to see, like Sodom and Gomorrah, he wants to see fire and brimstone, and he wants to see the city destroyed because he doesn't like these people. He, he hates these people, and he wants front row seats for the destruction of this city. Is it right for you to be angry? Is it right? The answer is, as I see you shaking your heads, no. So then, clearly, 
the, the powerful and effective message that Jonah preached in Jonah chapter 3. Jonah's heart was not in it. Jonah preached and delivered a message to these people in Jonah chapter 3, and, and clearly his heart was not in it. He didn't really care for or, or love the people that he was ministering to, but he, he did it anyway. Philippians 1, 12 through 18. This is what this reminds me of. Christ is preached. Philippians 1, 12 through 18. But I want you to know, brethren, that the things which happened to me have actually turned out for the furtherance of the gospel. This is the Apostle Paul speaking. But I want you to know, brethren, that the things which happened to me have actually turned out for the furtherance of the gospel. So that it has become evident to the whole palace guard and to all the rest that my chains are in Christ. And most of the brethren in the Lord having become confident by my chains, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Verse 15, Some indeed preach Christ even from envy and strife, and some from goodwill. The former preach Christ from selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing to add affliction to my chains. But the latter of love, knowing that I am appointed for the defense of the gospel. Verse 18, what then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is preached. And in this I rejoice. Yes, I rejoice. The Apostle Paul is saying, basically here, he's saying, man, the main thing is that Christ is preached. So, so, so obviously we want to speak about the heart and the heart being in it. Absolutely, right? And I will teach that and preach that. But here's the thing. Whether the heart's in it or not, the main thing is Christ is preached because God's word and God's message is effective. And it works regardless of who delivers it. So the main thing is that Christ is preached. Ah, man, but my heart's just not in it. Preach anyway. Work on your heart during the process, right? But we've been commanded to preach. Man, I just don't love the people. That's not good. <laughs> preach to them anyway. Because, because we see the, the effectiveness in Jonah and Jonah's message. This man did not like these people. He didn't love these people. He, he hated these people. God used it. And the entire city repented and came to know him. I also want to throw this out there as well. And that's why you have people behind the pulpit sometimes. And you're like, man, I, I can't believe that they got involved in that. You see, God was using them mightily. Right? I, I think we've, we've all said that about individuals that we know, right? Some more recent. And we've said, man, God used this individual in a mighty 
way. How in the world was he involved in that? The word. God's word. So the goal is that Christ is preached. I've been speaking to you and, and, and preaching to you about, about the heart and, and loving people. And, and, um, but listen, whether you love people or not, we're called to Woodbridge. Preach the gospel. That's it. I want you to love people. You should love people. Work on loving people. Pray that you would love people. But while you're figuring that out, preach the gospel. Amen? When Jonah shared this, this message to the Ninevites, right, he just did it in obedience. It was in obedience to, to God's word. That's it. He, he put God first and he proclaimed the message that God told him to, to proclaim. But it's also possible that, that Jonah, as he proclaimed this message, like I said before, he was still kind of hoping that possibly God may still destroy these people with the message that he proclaimed, right? The opposite happened, but there was probably still a hope that maybe God would actually destroy them. Even though, listen to this, even though God did not destroy Jonah for his own sins, even though God did not destroy Jonah for his own sins, Jonah was pleading and hoping that God would destroy them for theirs. Justice is what we cry for others. And mercy is what we cry for ourselves. Lord, may they, may they get the full penalty of their sin. Lord, may they get the full penalty for their crimes, Lord. Justice, Lord, justice, justice, justice. But Lord, may I find favor with you. Forgive me of my sins. Be merciful to me. Be gracious with me. Be patient with me. Do not hold my sins against me. Not me, Lord. Them, yes. Me, be gracious. Be kind. Be merciful. Your mercies, Lord, are new every morning. We pray those things over ourselves, but we, we cry justice for others. Remember the Lord's Prayer? Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Again, Jonah is, is real. He's, he's real. This guy's real, and he's, and he's just like you, and he's just like me. Jonah, even after being saved by the Lord and receiving all of that grace, think about what Jonah went through. He would have drowned in the sea. He would have drowned in the sea. God sent a, well, a, a great fish to swallow him. And all of that grace that Jonah received from the Lord, he still struggles to forgive others. 
and he struggles with the grace of God coming to this people, even though he received it, so much of it. Jonah received the fullness of the grace of God in every single way. And it's not like, you know, Jonah had received this like, you know, 50 years ago. Jonah had just received grace from the Lord. Just received it. Was, was three days in the belly of the great fish. He gets out. And he still doesn't want grace for the people. Like, like this is fresh. And he still has no grace. He struggles to forgive others. And he struggles with the grace of God coming to the people. Jonah's anger is unreasonable. I want you to understand that. His, his anger is unreasonable. There is nothing reasonable about Jonah's anger. The very attributes of God that continually forgave Jonah, that continually forgave Jonah's people, and was, and was merciful to Jonah's people, and gracious to them all throughout history. Right? The attributes of God that was, that was gracious and, and merciful to the children of Israel all throughout history. These are the same attributes that Jonah does not want to communicate to the Gentiles. God is getting ready to teach Jonah a lesson here. Verse 6, 7, and 8. And the Lord God prepared a plant. And the Lord God prepared a plant and made it come up over Jonah that it might be shade for his head to deliver him from his misery. So Jonah was very grateful for the plant. So Jonah was very grateful for the plant. But as morning dawned the next day, God prepared a worm and it so damaged the plant that it withered. And it happened when the sun arose that God, that, that God prepared a vehement east wind and the sun beat on Jonah's head so that he grew faint. Then he wished death for himself and said, it is better for me to die than to live. God prepared a plant. God prepared a worm. God prepared a vehement east wind. God prepared a great fish in chapter 1. God is in control of nature. He's, he's in control of every living thing, of, of the living and the dead. God is in control of the elements. And God is in control of the individual destinies of men and women, of mankind. Then God said to Jonah, verse 9, is it right for you to be angry about the plant? And he said, yeah. He said, yep. Yeah, yeah, it is. It is right for me to be angry, here he goes again, even to death. Extreme emotions. Is it right for you to be angry about the plant? Yes, it is. It's right for me to be angry even to the point of death. 
And the question is this, and there are many in the book of Jonah. Are humans more valuable than vines? Are humans more valuable than vines? Are people more valuable than plants? Jonah's anger is not justified, but he's angry and his emotions are real to himself. They're, they're really real. And, and he really doesn't understand why God doesn't understand him. His anger is not justified, but his anger is real. His, his priorities are out of whack. And some of you too have, have priorities out of whack, just like Jonah. God, God invests in the eternal people. God invests in the eternal, which is people. And God is trying to get Jonah to see this. The, the plant represents the temporary things in this life. Okay? That's what the plant represents. The temporary things in this world. The temporary things in this life. And the, the, the temporary pleasures that offer you shade is what the plant represents. These, these, these temporary things that, that make you feel comfortable, that offer shade, make you feel, make you feel good. They, they offer you shade for a season, yet they cannot sustain your soul. And they cannot cover you spiritually. That's what the plant represents. It offers you shade for a season. But it does nothing for your soul and it cannot cover you spiritually. And most of you, your goal is to plant the, the best plants the best flowers, the best trees in this world. That's your goal in life. Let me plant something there that make me feel comfortable. Jonah's priorities are out of whack. The, the plant could be your career your work, your wealth. There's nothing wrong with these things. But when your priorities are out of whack, then there is. When you're more concerned with plants than you are people, it's a problem. So God teaches Jonah a lesson. Verse 10 and verse 11. But the Lord said, But the Lord said, Jonah. The Lord is so gracious, so merciful, so patient. But the Lord said, you have had pity on the plant for which you have not labored, nor made it grow. You have no investment, Jonah, in this plant, which came up in a night and perished in a night. And should I not pity Nineveh, that great city in which are more than 120,000 persons who cannot discern between their right hand and their left? 
and much livestock. But the Lord said, you have had pity on the plant for which you, Jonah, have not labored, nor made it grow, which came up in a night and perished in a night. And should I not pity Nineveh, that great city in which are more than 120,000 persons who cannot discern between their right hand and their left and much livestock. So God sets Jonah up in order to speak to him in a way that he can understand. Right, this is how we have to, have to speak to, to our small children sometimes. Right, so God sets Jonah up to speak to him in a way that he can understand. Some people only learn through experiences. We spoke about this before. Some people, they, they don't learn when you, when you speak to them. They only, they only learn through experiences. So God created a real-life experience for Jonah. And an amazing real-life analogy for the purpose of thorough understanding. For Jonah, with the plant. As I, as I look through Jonah uh, chapter 4, it, it, it seems to me as though Jonah has some prejudices going on here. The Jonah has some prejudices going on here. Again, Jonah is a lot more like you than you initially thought. Because you too have some prejudices. The deprogramming of prejudice is also a process. And, and Jonah is having really serious issues here with the Ninevites being forgiven. He's having really serious issues with those people being forgiven. Again, even after he himself repented for his disobedience and for his attitude, he's still having issues. I remember hearing a, a, um, a pastor um, who I respected and, and still respect uh, share his story about prejudice. Um, and in this case, he didn't realize that he had it. You know, um, he said he had no idea that he had um, any kind of prejudice um, until his, his daughter started dating a black man. This is his story. Uh, he had black folks um, at his church, you know, and uh, as far as he knew, again, he never had any issues whatsoever. None. Um, everything was fine. But when his daughter started dating a, a black man, he said that um, some, some feelings began to rise up that he never had before, that he never knew were in him before. Thoughts that were completely foreign to him until now. So he, he dealt with that, and, and today that, that black man is his son-in-law, um, who he loves very dearly, and, and actually fairly recently they just sent out um, his son-in-law and his, and his daughter to plant a, a new campus for their church. You know, amazing. Praise God. But I said that just to say, we all, like, there are some, prejudice, some prejudices that we, that we have. We want to know why, why people, they don't think 
like us? Why they don't vote like us? Maybe, I mean, I mean a whole bunch of things, right? Maybe all these different communities and, 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 and sects that we build you know, and put into Christianity, you know, why don't you, why don't you homeschool? Right? We believe in homeschooling. Everyone should homeschool. And then you kind of look a little bit down on, on those who don't. Right? There, there, are, there are prejudices in so many ways. Even among Christians. And I believe that Jonah had some of these. Jonah was, was more angry over the withering of a plant than he was concerned for the souls of the city. In, including the, the babies and the little children that were in that sea. Jonah didn't care about them. Again, that, that 120,000 people that cannot discern between their left hand and their right, you know, is open to, to discussion, you know. Um, but, um, but many believe that it was just the children in that sea. Um, some say it could have been just, just the men in that city. Um, uh, but there were a lot of people in that city that, that, God, that God loved. A lot of people. You see, for, for Jonah, friends, I want, you, I want you to understand Jonah's perspective real quick. For Jonah, God was the God of the Jews. He was the God of the Jews only. He was my God, and he was the God of the Jews only and no one else. And Jonah could care less if the entire world burned and went to hell. He could care less just as long as God saved his people, just as long as God saved Jonah's nation, and Jonah's people, and Jonah's friends, and, and Jonah's neighbors, as long as they were safe and secure, that's all that mattered. But Jonah could care less if the rest of the world perished and went off. He could care less. And Jonah did not want God to use his preaching to save these non-Gentile, these, these non-Jewish, Gentile, heathen, infidel, pagan, idolatrous sinners. He said, absolutely not. You will not use my preaching to save them. There's a, there's a great contrast between Jonah and God. Jonah is angry and God is slow to anger. God has pity for the people and Jonah has pity for a plant. Jonah puts God in a, in a theological box. But God does not fit in to any of our boxes that we try to put him in. He doesn't fit into anyone's box. And that's why I don't proclaim Calvin or Arminius. That's why I don't proclaim Luther or Wesley. That's why I don't proclaim Pentecostal 
or Baptist. But I proclaim Jesus and Him only. Amen. And the book ends. God speaks, and Jonah is left speechless. The book ends with a question, and Jonah's silence. And oftentimes when, when Jesus would, would speak and teach and teach a lesson, that's how the people ended up. When his critics would come against him, Jesus would teach a lesson, and they would just be speechless, and they couldn't respond to his wisdom. But the way the book ends here is designed to take the focus off of Jonah, I believe, and to put it on you. The way the book ends is designed to take the focus off of Jonah and to put it on you. Now, as we get ready to close right here, one of the biggest questions for for me from this book of Jonah is not how did the lots fall on Jonah in chapter 1? How did the sea become calm for Jonah? It's not how was Jonah swallowed. It's not how, how did Jonah survive three days in the belly of the great fish. The greatest question for me is not what language did Jonah speak in Nineveh? How did the people understand Jonah? That's not the biggest question for me. The biggest question for me in this entire book is this. Why would God ever use Jonah? That's the biggest question for me. Why? Why would God ever use a Jonah? Jonah was the rebellious prophet. He was the prayerless prophet at one point. He was the loveless prophet. He was the prejudiced prophet. He was the angry prophet. And he was the self-righteous prophet. I thought about going in that direction this morning. The whole message today could have been on self-righteousness. But he was also the self-righteous prophet. Why would God ever use a Jonah? But when I think of him, I think of you. And the question then becomes, why would God ever use you? Why would God ever use you? In conclusion, the book of Jonah is just as much about you as it is about Jonah. And I hope and I pray that you were able to see that in these past four weeks. The book of Jonah is just as much about you as it is about Jonah. Jonah exists in every single one of us. And God wants to have a supernatural encounter with the prophet just as much as God wants to have a supernatural encounter with the pagan. God wants to have a supernatural encounter with the unbeliever just as much as God wants to have a supernatural encounter with the believer. God wants to have a supernatural encounter 
with you. And sometimes when we become believers and our sins have been forgiven, I think we forget that we still sin. And our mind and our focus comes off of ourselves and, it's, and it becomes on everyone else. Look at his sin. Look at her sin. Look at what they're doing. And we're no longer as, as believers able to see our own sin. Jesus spoke about taking the, the speck out of your brother's eye while there's a plank in your own. And I think that's the trap that many believers fall into very often. That very trap. I can see your sins, I can point out your sins, but, but me, I'm good. Self-righteousness. Jonah is self-righteous. He's, he's focused on the sin of the Ninevites. So much so that it's impossible for him to see his own. And the grace that was equally bestowed upon him, he can't see that. Jonah was forgiven. But obviously Jonah thought that he deserved forgiveness. He thought he deserved forgiveness. But he could not and he would not forgive his enemies because they obviously did not deserve forgiveness. Self-righteous, self-righteousness. There are many questions in the book that are addressed to you in the book of Jonah. The last one being in chapter 4. The last question addressed to you. Are you okay with the fact that God loves your enemies? Are you okay with that? Are you okay with the fact that God loves your enemies? The book of Jonah, just like all of God's word, holds a, holds a mirror up to the one who reads it. And as you begin to look at it and as you begin to read it, it begins to read you. And that's what the book of Jonah does, just like the entire Word of God, it holds a mirror up, and you begin to see yourself in it. In Jonah, we, we see the worst parts of our character magnified in him, which should draw us to uh, a place of humility and, and repentance, as well as, as, as praising God for his mercy and his love and his grace and his patience toward us. We also see the, the irrational parts of our sinful actions attempting to be justified by and in Jonah. But when God speaks in his wisdom, we're left speechless. As Jonah was at the end of this book. The book of Jonah was ultimately a message of good news. It's all about good news that speaks into the width and the length and the depth and the height of God's love, which passes knowledge. Romans 5, 10, and 11, for if we 
if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more, having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. And not only that, but we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received the reconciliation. Colossians 1 and verse 21, And you who once were alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now he has reconciled. And as the book of Jonah ends with a question, I believe that it is fitting that I should do likewise for you this morning. So here's my question to you as we conclude our study of the book of Jonah. Are you glad? Are you glad, and listen to the question, are you glad, are you glad that God loves, that God loves his enemies? Amen. Let's pray. We can stand up and let's pray. Bow your heads, please. Father, we thank you for our time in the book of Jonah, Jonah chapter 1, chapter 2, chapter 3, and chapter 4. Father, we thank you for the beauty of your word. And Father, I pray that we would never be able to escape from Jonah. That we would never be able to, to run from the reality. That we are just like Jonah. But Lord, may we never run from your presence. May we always run to you. We are just like Jonah, so much like Jonah, and we see Jonah in us. We do many of the same things that Jonah did. And even though we're, we're called by you with a, with, a special, with a very special message to proclaim to the world, we have rejected that assignment. Every individual online and in this room that believes in you, you have called. And you have told to deliver a message, a very special message to the world. And there are many people online and in this room that have been absent, that's been running from you and your call for, for, for 20 years. For 10 years, for 5 years, for, for a year, for months, for weeks. They're not interested in delivering your message to a dying world, just like Jonah. And, and maybe it's because they just don't care, j just like Jonah. So, Father, I pray, I pray, Lord God Almighty, that our gatherings in this room, our gatherings in this place is never in vain. I don't want to get up here and, and speak and proclaim and preach and teach in vain. But, Father, just like the the most brutal people probably during that day, just like they were sensitive to your word, I pray that the people of God would be sensitive to your word. That we would hear your word, that we would take heed, and that we would be drawn to our knees in repentance, and that we would remember to put our priorities in their rightful place, to honor you 
and to always be about the proclamation of the gospel. Father, where we are self-righteous, where we want to be forgiven, but we don't want to forgive others, where we see other sins, but we think that we're good, I pray, Lord God Almighty, that we would repent for the spirit of self-righteousness. And I thank you for Romans chapter 10, 5 through 15. For Moses writes about the righteousness which is of the law. The man who does those things shall live by them. But the righteousness of faith speaks in this way. Do not say in your heart who will ascend into heaven. That is to bring Christ down from above. Or who will descend into the abyss. That is to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? The word is near you in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith which we preach. That if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. For the scripture says, whoever believes on him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord over all is rich to all who call upon him. For whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace, who bring glad tidings of good things. Amen. We'd love to hear from you. Visit us at thewaycitychurch.org.